3: You're listening to FOJC Radio, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and teaching the doctrine of Christ to the whole world.
0: Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one.
3: You're listening to FOJC Radio, where truth in the Word of God is found. Good morning and welcome to FOJC Radio Church. Grab your Bible and your pens and your paper and when two or three are gathered in his name, the Lord is right here with us. So thank you for joining us and here's Brother David.
2: Good morning and welcome to the March 15th, 2015 edition of FOJC Radio Church. I am David Carey Cohen. For the next hour, we are going to be studying the Word of God. Our lesson this morning is on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. This is not just a fundamental lesson. This is an essential lesson If you get this wrong, you're going to be lost. So this is of the utmost importance. And I want to give a shout out this morning to my nephew, Kevin, who has been following us on YouTube. We are so glad to have Brother Kevin on board. God bless you, Brother Kevin. And we are glad to have each and every one of you on board this morning on FOJC Radio Church. Here we are. At the Ides of March, in the Shemitah year, standing strong for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine of Christ. And as we do, we're going to prepare our hearts this morning to receive the word with a time of worship. And after that, we will be back with our lesson, The Fruit of the Spirit.
1: died and for my sin was crucified oh in love such as this I just can't comprehend then I think how he must feel to have suffered To that ordeal Yet his love has been rejected By so many through the years I wonder if he ever cries When he thinks of how he bled and died the memory remains Can he still feel The pain Of sin and shame He bore for me And every time He sees His heart Does it bring A tear into His eyes When many Never serve him Not caring love him, I wonder does it make him cry? Suffered in dying agony
2: go to the Lord in prayer this morning before we break the bread of life and uh, pray with me if you will. Heavenly Father we thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather again one more time to lift up your holy name preach your word and encourage the saints. Father I pray that you give each and every one this morning what they need from the Holy Ghost of Heaven to strengthen them in the fight, to help them to be strong and to stand for you. And Lord, I just humbly ask this morning that you help Donna to keep everything running smoothly and that you help me anoint my lips and my mind this morning to bring forth your word in clarity and truth. And we give you the praise for everything good that happens. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to begin in Galatians chapter 5. In verse 19, our lesson this morning is on the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to read in our text the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Because we have to understand the contrast. There are two ways here that are contrasted. The works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. One leads to hell and damnation. The other leads to eternal life. And there's no mixing the two. The the fountain will either bring forth sweet water or bitter. It cannot bring forth both at the same time. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. That means that the works of the flesh will show themselves openly in a person's life. They will be visible and identifiable. There are some sins that are more visible than others, but... These things will manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, stripes, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Which means that this is not an exhaustive list. There are other things some people would say, well, he didn't say anything about homosexuality. Well, it says, and such like. All of these works of the flesh or any such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If these works of the flesh are in your life, and you do not repent and take them to the cross to remove them, you'll be lost. Uh, and be not deceived. You know, this is the clear statement of Scripture. Now, beginning in verse 22, but, which shows the contrast, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. This is. There is no law of God against those that manifest the fruit of the Spirit, because love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, a couple of things I want you to note here, uh, initially, about the fruit of the Spirit, that it is the fruit of the Spirit. When we talk about these qualities, we're not talking about anything that you can gin up out of your natural man through uh, any kind of self-control or any kind of other schemes. This is the fruit of the Spirit, and these can only be manifested by the Holy Ghost flowing through our hearts. Now, also here, I want you to note that it is the fruit singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit, and these fruits are like a cluster of grapes that all flow from the same source and that source is love. But The fruit singular of the Spirit is love. Now, I want to tell on the devil this morning. I want us to read in Ephesians 6 and 11. And in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11... The scripture says, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now that word wiles, it's number 3180 in the Strongs, and it means to be crafty, to be tricky. You know, he is a very tricky, crafty little devil, that is for sure. And I'm going to tell on the devil this morning, I'm going to show you just exactly what he has done and what we can do to avoid his snares now satan is not stupid and he knows that it all of these fruits hinge on love and that if he can pervert love that he can destroy the character of christians and not only destroy their character but set them on a course for hell instead of heaven And also, as we progress in our lesson, we're going to see that all true Christian works that build the kingdom of God are based on and motivated by love. So Satan understands that if he can pervert love, that people will build his kingdom while they're thinking they're building the kingdom of God. And this is very much in line with... The lesson that we've had the past two weeks on the image of the beast. And this is how Satan is tricking people into building the image of the beast while they think they're building the kingdom of God. Now, love is so important that the Apostle Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could not remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Now the Bible didn't say love there, did it? It said charity. Now, I'm going to tell on the devil this morning, and I'm going to show you just exactly what he has done. Um, I have a lot to say about apostate translations, and I say this on a regular basis because it's hard to say too much about it because of the destruction that they have wrecked on the church. They have indeed turned it from the kingdom of God into the image of the beast. Now, in I am want to read from a book written by a man by the name of Dean Bergon. And I have recommended the society that's after his name, the Dean Bergon Society. This is one of the very few ministries on earth that I could recommend. But I recommend their work on the received text in the highest way. Now, in the 1880s, when the Westcott and Hort were striving to bring in and establish their apostate text. Their number one opponent was one of the greatest Greek scholars of all time by the name of Dean Bergon. And in our library, I have four large volumes by Dean Bergon in our library. Really, really good stuff. And I want to read something from the Revision Revised by Dean Bergon. And I don't know whether he would have considered himself a prophet But he certainly spoke prophetically many times. And this is one. This is from page 201 of Revision Revised. This is what Dean Bergun said. What else but a real calamity would be the sentence of perpetual banishment passed by our revisionist on that most excellent gift, the gift of charity, and the general substitution of love in its place. Do not these learned men perceive that love is not an equivalent term? In consequence it has come to pass that the word charity connotes many ideas to which the word love is an entire stranger. That love on the contrary has come to connote many unworthy notions which in charity find no place at all. And Dean Bergon prophesied that if the revisionist got away with replacing charity with love, that there would be a great calamity. And let me tell you, that calamity is here. It's in our face. Now, the word agape is sometimes translated as love in the New Testament, and this is proper. It's not wrong to say that agape is love But in the King James Bible, agape love is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And there is no word in the English language that better portrays what agape love is than charity. If you give someone charity, you give them something they don't deserve. We all know this instantly. But when you say love, and you take charity out as a defining aspect, of agape love this like Burgon said this just opens it up to anything and everything Burgon prophesied a calamity that calamity has come Uh, and I'll just give a couple examples which are just all too obvious Uh, Joel Osteen who has the largest church in America he just wants to show love to people and not to talk about anything that's unpleasant or that will offend Joseph Prince is leading what he calls the grace revolution and he says that God loves us so much that we don't even have to confess our sins and to ask forgiveness for our sins and this is not the grace revolution this is the sin revolution and I want to tell on the devil this morning, I want us to see clearly just exactly what he has done. I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to begin with verse 2. And the Apostle Paul said, "...for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy." For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. This goes right along with what we've been teaching about the bride of Christ, doesn't it? In verse 3, he says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus... "...whom we have not preached, or if ye have received another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him." And this is what Satan has done. He has brought in another Bible that teaches another kind of love. That gives us another Jesus and another gospel and another spirit. And this is causing these people motivated by this spirit to build the kingdom of Satan upon earth and not the kingdom of God. They are literally building the image of the beast while they think they are building the kingdom of God. Indeed, Burgon prophesied a calamity and indeed... That calamity is here staring us in the face. Now, these are a few things that true love will do. And I am going to get into some very specific scenarios this morning that are going to be facing us in the near future. These are going to be life and death decisions that if we've just got to get them right. And the only way we're going to get these right is is to have the love of God flowing in our hearts. Now, Romans chapter one verse sixteen, the apostle Paul said, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of, G- uh, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek." Now, there's a movement, another movement, underway. And uh, a lot of these people are associated with the Kufi movement, Christians United for Israel. And I'm not an anti-Semitic person. People that listen to me know that. But there's a move abroad, and many of these people, or at least some of them, some of the biggest voices in that movement, say, God did not call me to share the gospel with the Jew. He called me to be their friend. No, he did not. The greatest expression of love that we can show to someone is to share with them the gospel that will give them eternal life. Love will motivate us to share the gospel against whatever persecution it will bring. And the reason why people will shun to preach the gospel is because they do not want to bear the offense of the cross, in many instances. Now, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, this is another thing that true love will do. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And true love will seek to restore a brother. True love will not turn its head and watch a brother continue on the path of damnation without trying to rescue him or her. True love will confront to try to rescue. And also, true love will preach against sin. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 27. And this is so prevalent today in the user-friendly church. If you have love, you won't offend people. And that is such a lie of the devil. If you have agape, charity, love, you will preach against sin. Because you do love those people and you want to give them something that they don't deserve. Acts chapter 20, verse 27 for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And that is truly my heart's desire, is to declare all the counsel of God without shunning anything that is profitable or needful of the the saints of God to hear. In verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, To draw away disciples after them. And that's why these people do what they do. The wolves are here. And the wolves do what they do to get a following. And the people in America today that have the biggest following, they're the wolves. And don't be mistaken just because the wolf is smiling like a possum. Because you know why the possum is smiling, don't you? And these two men that I mentioned, they are just uh, two of many I could mention. They're two of the most obvious. I could talk about Rick Warren, who is bringing in Chrislam, a a so-called mixture of Islam and Christianity, which is just an outright uh, impossibility. But these men are leading the way with a false... ...kind of love, and all of this has come about because of what happened when Westcott and Hort uh, brought their text in. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, this is the definitive definition of love, and that has been stripped from the minds of the apostate church by these false Bibles and false preachers, and without the true love of God... We are not only going to be lost, but you're going to have people building the kingdom of Satan while they think they're building the kingdom of God. Now, let's look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 26. Now, in uh, every week, we get phone calls and emails from people literally all over the world. And just this week, I dealt with two individuals on the issue of the King James Bible. One person turned the right way, one person turned the wrong way. It's such a classic example. And both came to me with the same lie. The same lie was presented to me that Francis Bacon was the editor of the King James Bible. Now, I want to read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 26. And this is the way love will cause us to work with one another, to do the labor of love that brings forth the true kingdom of God. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now that word vain glory really catches my eye because this fits one of these individuals very well. And according to Fung, this means... The idea of talking big. F.F. F. Bruce says that this means to boast when there is nothing to boast about. To be a big talker. To be a boaster. And one of these individuals told me that uh, he mentioned in a... Uh, well, I had probably two or three different phone conversations and some emails with this person. I did my best to work with the person and to inform them. And repeatedly, this person would tell me about their PhDs and how studied they were, how much they knew, how much they loved truth. And when I, when I told this individual that uh, Francis Bacon, it's not, well, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. It's a verifiable fact the names of everyone that touched the King James translation is a matter of public record there are 55 men you can have all of their names it's not a matter of maybe he might have been, no he was not, this is a verifiable fact and this person told me that you know you and I can disagree here I'm a seeker of truth, you're a seeker of truth, we can still work together and I said I'm sorry sir No, we cannot. You attack the word of God. I defend it. You and I cannot walk together. Now, I had enough love to take the time to share the truth with this man. And I had enough love for God to separate from him. And I had enough love for the ministry not to waste any more time with him. And I told him, you are not a seeker of truth when you will not check the facts. A seeker of truth will check the facts, and when a person has the facts, they won't repeat lies. Now, another man came to me this week with the same story. Oh, did you know Francis Bacon was the editor of the King James Bible? I shared the same truth with this man. This man said, thank you for saving me from repeating this error. The person thanked me. One person went the wrong way. One person went the right way. And that's the way it's going to be. But when you hear somebody that's full of vain glory, they want to tell you how much they know, and it was obvious. In a five minute conversation with this individual, he did not know enough about the text and transmission of the New Testament text to even have an intelligent conversation about it. But people are deceived, and they want a, 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 what a person knows or does not know is not necessarily a shame unto them. But it is a shame when that person tries to make other people think they're big shots that know it all. Oh, look at me, look at what I know. That is vainglory. It's not just wrong, it's a sin. Now let's read Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 2. And then we're going to get into some very, very specific scenarios that are going to be facing us in the very near future that could result... And will result in life or death decisions. Now, in Proverbs chapter 27 verse 2. Boy, I love the book of Proverbs. And uh, the book of Proverbs, you just need to read it and read it and memorize verses. It's so good. But Proverbs 27 and 2 says, "...let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips." And when you hear this out of a person, oh, I know so much, and all this, and you know how it goes. You better watch out, because each and every time, there's a wrong spirit driving that. Now, we're going to take our break this morning, and when we come back, we are going to get into some nut and bolt scenarios that are going to be life and death questions that we're going to be facing in the very near future and without love flowing in our hearts we are not going to be able to get them right and we're going to see the utmost necessity that the fruit of the spirit will play in our life we'll be right back right after this break
3: the music hour. We're going to play various kinds of music to soothe your soul, help you feel the joy of the Lord, and to usher you into the Lord's presence. Come and join us. James 3.18 And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace.
2: Well, welcome back here to FOJC Radio Church, and I do extend my heartfelt gratitude to all of you that love the Lord enough this morning to study His Word with us. And this is certainly a subject of the utmost importance, the fruit of the Spirit. is something we have to get right, and we are going to get it right. Uh, I want to go to Charles Finney's Systematic Theology to establish uh, and talk about his definition of love. This is from Finney's Systematic Theology on page 139. If any of you have this, I know that some of you do. And in distinguishing, uh, defining agape love as charity. And there are places in the King James Bible where agape is translated as love. This is perfectly fine, but The definitive definition of love and the ultimate definition of agape in the Word of God is 1 Corinthians 13. And charity. Everybody knows that if you get something by charity, or if you give someone by charity, you give someone just because you want to give them something out of the goodwill of your heart. And, uh, of course, as Dean Burgon said, love. If you erase charity from your definition of agape love, this opens up a lot of things. And it certainly left the barn door open, and certainly the horses have gotten out. And as Burgon has said, the calamity is here. And as the Apostle Paul said, the wolves are certainly here. Now, let's read Brother Finney's definition of love He says, It has been shown that the sum and spirit of the whole law is properly expressed in one word, love. It has also been shown that this love is benevolence or good willing, that it consists in choosing the highest good of God and of universal being for its own intrinsic value in a spirit of entire consecration to this as the ultimate end of existence. And boy, he said a whole lot there. And what he is saying, and this is what the Word of God says, that if I do have a gappy love towards you, that I will want the best for you. And I will try to do everything I can to bring about God's best for you. But it also, he qualifies that. And he says that it consists in choosing the highest good of God and of universal being, and love, agape love of God, has to consider what is good for everybody. And there are times that if I continue to show agape towards you, it's going to hurt the greater good. And we're going to talk about some of those situations. Now, let's set this up with Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Let's read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. And we want to establish from Scripture that which I have already stated that the agape love of God is the foundation for building the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is built on true love. The image of the beast is built on false love. Galatians 5 and 6 says for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but but faith which worketh by love. When our faith works by love, we will build the kingdom of God. And when a person's faith is in another Bible, another Jesus, another gospel, they will have another spirit and they'll build another kingdom. Now, let's do some concrete situations. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2. And let's read verse 3 and 4. And let's talk about some situations that I believe that we're all going to be facing in the near future. And if you do not have the fruit of the Spirit in your heart flowing and manifesting strongly, you're going to make the wrong decision. Now, Joshua chapter 2, let's read verse 3 and 4. We know the story of Rahab the harlot. And in Joshua 2 and 3, it says, And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And we know the story of how Joshua sent the two spies in to spy out Jericho. Rahab, the, the Canaanite ritual prostitute because she had faith that they were the true people of God, bringing the true kingdom of God, she hid these spies. And when the king's messengers come and said, uh, and the king asked her uh, you know, where are the spies Rahab? She had hid them. She knew where they were. They were hid on a roof. She says, well gee king, I don't know. Now, here's my question to you this morning. Did Rahab lie? And the answer to that has to be, yes, Rahab lied. Now, let me ask another question. Did Rahab sin? And the answer to that is, no, she did not sin. And people will try to pervert What I'm saying as they try to pervert so many things I'm saying that I am trying to justify lying and the Lord knows that is not true but I want to read what the Lord said about this. What the Holy Ghost says in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31 this is what the faith chapter says about Rahab. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. The word of God didn't say, shame on you, Rahab, for lying. The Rahab, the, the word of God puts Rahab in the hall of fame of faith because she had enough faith To hide the spies and not let the king know where they were. Now, let's put this whole context in another scenario that we're all familiar with. And I think this is also going to play out maybe with some of us that are hiding from the beast. Now, let's just put this in the scenario of the Nazis and the Jews. And let's just say, and this is something that played out many times in real life. And let's say there's a family that's hiding Jews in their basement and the Nazis come in and the Nazis ask well are there Jews in your basement? now the first person says no there are not no Jews in my basement but the second person says I cannot tell a lie there are Jews down in the basement so they go down to the basement they get the Jews they put them on the train and they take them away and gas them now Let me ask you the question this morning. Did the person that say, I cannot tell a lie, the Jews are in the basement, did that person act out of love, or did that person act out of cowardice to save their own skin? And we all know the answer to that. That person acted not out of love, but out of cowardice. You know, and the person might say, Oh, gee, uh, here... Give the Jews some cookies to eat while they're on the train going to be gassed. And oh yeah, here, take some cookies to Adolf. I love him. You know, this is just absolutely ridiculous. Rahab lied, but she did not sin because she had the law written on her heart and the law of love that always looks, as Brother Finney says, to the greater good, mandated that she saved the life of the two spies because she had faith in the kingdom that God was building and not in the kingdom that Satan was building. And this is what our Lord said in John chapter 15 and verse 13. And I believe with all my heart that we that are listening to these words this morning We're going to be faced with these exact same scenarios. And in John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Now, if Rahab would have said, uh, yeah, they're over there, she would have for certain saved her own life. And she had to risk her own life to hide the spies. If they would have found the spies, she would have died. She risked, because of love and faith, her own life to put forward the kingdom of God. And in James chapter 2, verse 25, And woe unto anybody, and shame on you, if anyone accuses me of trying to justify lying. But shame on you, If you don't allow the love of God to teach you when you have to save life instead of destroy it. In James chapter 2 verse 25, the word of God says this concerning Rahab. And the word is very clear about Rahab and what she did. In James chapter 2 verse 25, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? The Word of God specifically speaks in two places in the New Testament to what Rahab did, and far from condemning her, the Word of God applauds her. So we need to understand, as the writer of Hebrews does, In uh, Hebrews chapter 8, and let's look at verse 10. The Word of God says here, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God... And they shall be to me a people. We have to have the law of God written in our hearts by love, or we will make the wrong decisions. Now, Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And this is something that I cannot emphasize enough. These are things we're going to be faced with decisions in the near future that we will not be able to get right without love. And Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. This love isn't something that we can wake up in the morning and we can say, Oh, gee, I'm going to be real fruity today. I'm going to have a lot of love. It doesn't work that way. This love comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost being alive and active in your heart. This is why it's so important, not just to read and study the Word, but develop your prayer life. Have your praise and worship to to keep your pipes unclogged. To have the Holy Spirit flowing. We have to constantly be on watch to die unto sin and the works of the flesh that try to come into our life because if we are not flowing in love, love determines the right decisions that we make. And like Brother Finney said, love will always consider the greatest good. And that's what Rahab did. She had the law of love in her heart and it certainly, if she would have told where the spies were not only would they have died but the battle of Jericho could very well have fell into the enemy instead of the people of God now let's look at another concrete scenario which people are facing right now let's go to Luke chapter 6 and let's read verse 27 and 28 Luke chapter 6 verse 27 and 8 Jesus said but I say unto you with chair, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And you can't do this in your natural man. To do this, you have to have the love of God shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. You have to die to sin and the works of the flesh in your heart and allow the Holy Spirit of God to bring forth this fruit of agape charity. In your heart, to truly give that person something they don't deserve. You see, and you you can't think of love as some kind of sentimental, queasy feeling. You have to think of love as giving your enemy charity, something he does not deserve. Now, Psalm 137. Psalm 137, and we're going to read verse 8 and 9. And while there is never a time, when we should curse our enemies, there is a time when our prayers for our enemies becomes a prayer that God will destroy them and our blessings, there is a time when our blessings must pass from the heads of our enemies to the heads of those that would destroy our enemies. Now let me say that again. There's never a time when we are to curse our enemies, but there is a time when the prayer for our enemies must be for God to destroy them, and our blessings can no longer be on our enemies, but we must bless those that would destroy our enemy. Now, let's read it in the Word of God. Psalm 137, verse 8 and 9. O daughter of Babylon, and that which we have rising now, is mystery Babylon being established before our eyes? The psalmist said, "O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed." And we, the reason why we are so urgent, and the reason why we deal with every effort available, with the minds and hearts of men and women, is that they are headed for destruction. They are a part of the beast system that they should get out of because it most assuredly is going to be destroyed. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth by little ones against the stones. And people will say, well, boy, that ain't right. That's a wrong spirit. No, that is right. That's the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. And ask yourself this this morning. If you were a Christian living in Iraq and you were facing the threat of ISIS that was burning Christians alive, that were decapitating Christians little boys and girls, raping little prebupescent girls. How would you pray? Certainly the time has come to intercede and ask God to destroy the enemies because it's truly time when it's obvious that no more charity can be shown to ISIS Because they are against the greater good. And we are going to be facing, I believe, in the very near future, the same scenario. Now, how can you know when to switch your prayers from blessing your enemies to blessing those to destroy them? Instead of praying for God to bless your enemy, to bless those that will destroy them, you only will know this Through the love of God flowing through your heart. Because only the agape charity of God in your heart. Will know what is the greatest aim of God's love for the greatest good. Now, this is why it's so important. That we have the spirit of God putting the love of God in our hearts. To make these decisions. Now, let's go to another concrete scenario. Let's go to the book of Obadiah the book of Obadiah now this is a little one and uh, that's one of them little books that can hide it's right after the book of Amos and it's only one chapter long but I want to read the 12th verse of the book of Obadiah this is what it says and it's this is a prophecy to the nation of Edom that was the descendants of Esau And in verse 12, it says, But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. And it is a sin for us, when God does judge our enemies to have that carnal delight... Oh, thank God. I know he was a no-good, dirty rat. Oh, thank God. Uh, he's He wasn't righteous like me. Thank God. He got what he deserved. There's an evil part of our fallen nature that rejoices when we see our enemy fall. God says that is not the love of God and that has no place in the heart of a child of God... But yet what God does say in Revelation chapter 11, verse 13, it says, And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The word of God says that while we cannot relish in the fact that God has destroyed our enemies, yet we must praise the God and glorify Him that destroyed them. Now, can you sort that out in your heart? No, you can't. But the agape charity love of God flowing in your heart can give you the ability not to rejoice over the fact your enemies destroyed, but to praise the God of heaven that destroyed them. There are people today that when God takes action and judges the enemies of God, that they won't praise God. They'll even say God's unloving. What ridiculousness is that? But that is just to the extent that Satan has perverted love And he has just redefined it and eradicated the true love of God from the hearts and minds of most people that profess to be Christians. And as you can see, this is something that we have to get right. Or we are going to be lost and we are going to build the wrong kingdom. Let's see if we have time this morning to do one more. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We got Donna. Donna's giving me the thumbs up. God bless you, Sister Donna. And by the way, Sister and Donna and I are heading here on March 20th, five days away, our 35th wedding anniversary. And we're going to go out someplace nicer than Denny's on there. Let me tell you what, Uh, that's going to be a big time. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. The Word of God says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh... And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, you're either under the law or you're led by the Spirit. It cannot be both ways. Now, there are two things in the Word of God that the Scripture says that the Christian should be dead to. We should be dead to sin... And we should be dead to law. And Romans 6 and 14. It says for sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law but under grace. And every person listening to my voice tonight. Or or this morning. You're either living by law or you're living by grace. And this is why. And you see whenever a person lives by law. You frustrate the spirit of God in your life and you open up the door uh, to guarantee yourself that you're going to fail now this is why the law of tithing is so very wrong because when a person puts themselves under the law of tithing they not only remove themselves from the grace principle to the law principle but they open up the door for sin in their life now recently here where we live, Donna was confronted by a preacher, quotation mark, quotation mark, that uh, he cornered Sister Donna while I was not with her, and attacked us for not preaching tithing. Uh, this preacher said, uh, I hear you two don't preach tithing. That, uh, you know, She and this person said, You're going to shut down the church of God. You're going to shut down the church. And Sister Donna did a very good job of handling this individual. Was very proud of her in a godly way. Handled the situation very well. But let me say this this morning. That to stop teaching the law of tithing, it might shut down the apostate church but it will not shut down the church of the living god because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living god in second corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 the word of god says every man according as he purposeth in his heart So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. The New Testament says, and it's not wrong to give. My goodness, if you want to give, you don't have to be under the law of tithing to give. But the Bible says that we should be led by God to give what God lays on our heart to give. Now, this is what preachers... Almost all of them in the apostate church are afraid to do. They are afraid to stand in the pulpit and say, I want people this morning to give what the Holy Spirit lays on their heart because I think they really know that the Holy Spirit isn't going to move anybody to give them a dime for anything. You see, but this is how the church of the living God survives. It doesn't survive by law. It survives by the moving of the Spirit of God. One more, Galatians 5 and 1. There are those, could you imagine, that accuse me of establishing a Christmas tree law. Could you imagine that? Well, yes, it's been said of me. Now, in Galatians 5 and 1, the scripture says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, I want to make a statement this morning, and I want to make a clarification. This is something that a lot of people can't understand, and this is the mantra of the apostate church. They say that anybody that preaches against sin or an idolatry, this is what Joseph Prince says. He's the champion of this. This is legalism. This is legalism. This isn't love. If you preach against sin, we're not supposed to do it. Now, there's a difference between legalism and preaching against sin legalism is if I would tell you this morning that you have to be baptized in water to be saved that's a work you have to do to be saved or if I tell you this morning you've got to pay your tithe to be blessed and if you don't you're cursed legalism is telling someone that they have to keep a law to be saved or sanctified Preaching against sin is preaching against sin. If I preach against sin, that doesn't make me a legalist. You see, God has... Uh, just say adultery, for instance. If I preach against adultery, you see, I would haven't made a law against adultery... But you see, somebody did, didn't they? Somebody has already made a law against adultery and established what sin is. It's my job as a preacher of the Word of God to do that. Now, I want to close this morning with a definition of idolatry from Adam Clark's commentary. This is Adam Clark wrote this in the 1700s. He was uh, in the late 1700s and in the early 1800s. Adam Clark was John Wesley's student and good friend. And I want to give you, from Clark's commentary on Galatians, his definition of idolatry. This is what Adam Clark said. Idolatry, worshiping of idols, frequenting idol festivals, all the rites of Bacchus, Venus, Venus, Priapus, etc., which were common among the Gentiles. And this is the problem today. We have a people that not only don't want to know about sin, they don't even know what sin and idolatry is. They don't understand the pagan holidays. They don't understand Freemasonry. And this is what we do. We warn people and we preach the whole counsel of God that we might come out from among them and build the true kingdom of God instead of the image of the beast. Well, I just want to say this morning that I appreciate each and every one of you so much, and I just encourage you to pray for us. And uh, one more thing, one more thing. We had a question come in, and uh, this question come in from one of our regular listeners. Uh, And I'm going to answer this this morning. Uh, It was in regard to Deuteronomy 28.57. This come in from uh, Brother Maurice. And this is uh, what he said. Uh, He said, I wanted to ask uh, you and David to give me your opinion on Deuteronomy 28.57. It appears this has a very deep meaning to it. I know these were the curses of Israel. And of course, those who worship the beast and wood and stone gods, but do you guys think this relates to the great tribulation where the moms will literally eat their seed for their own survival and open the gates or portals to more demonic spirits in hell? This has my attention. well, let's read deuteronomy fifty eight and uh or excuse me deuteronomy twenty eight fifty seven And let's just read this scripture because this is another thing that very much fits in with what we're talking about this morning. This scripture says, And toward her young one that cometh out from between her feet and toward her children which she shall bear for she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in thy gates. And this word word and this scripture it prophesies of the judgment of those that are unfaithful to God that just like in the sieges of Israel that things will get so bad that moms will be tempted to eat their own children and here again the love of God is going to say nah we're not going even if I die you know I'm not going to eat that child but the Bible and history is full of of cannibalism and uh, sad to say there's even ritual cannibalism taking place right now now the last part that brother Maurice alluded to and we've talked about this in other scenarios that when you're talking about the Nephilim seed when a Nephilim dies they are not resurrected but the spirit of that Nephilim goes out and it becomes a devil upon the earth so ritual human sacrifice and ritual ritual cannibalism can actually release the spirits of devils to build the army of Satan. So this is a very real scenario and this is a prophecy from the word of God and another scenario that I believe people are going to be facing in the very near future. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the chance to share your word and I thank you for each and every one studying with us this morning. Father, we know that your word will not return void. Heavenly Father, just send your word out to rescue the perishing and bring people into the light of the doctrine of Christ and we'll give you the praise for everything good that happens and we will see you next week on... OJC Radio Church in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ Amen and Amen we'll see you next week
3: For being a part of FOJC Radio Church, you can contact us at FOJC, Post Office Box 4174, Evansville, Indiana, 47724-4174. Or you can call us at area code 812-473-3735. Or you can email us at Last Days Church at cs.com Or you can check out our website at www.ritualabusefree.org That's all one word. Ritual abuse That's Ritualabusefree.org That's R-I-T-U-A-L-A-B-U-S-E-F-R-E-E dot O-R-G and please remember to tune in next Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Time. Thanks, and God bless.
2: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing?